Well, praise the Lord. We have a God to believe in. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. I want to ask you to look with me in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to begin reading to you from verse 6. I would always encourage you bring your Bibles and or your phones along with you to church. A lot of people have their Bible uh, in your phone and I can I do that. I pull it up sometimes in my phone. So certainly you can have it along with you while I'm just speaking about it because I didn't mention a little earlier while you have your phones out. If you want to, please uh, remember to check in on the Facebook page for our our church. We have a Gospel Chapel Facebook page page for every five check-ins uh we're working with another ministry in partnership for every five check-ins a mother and her baby will have food for the entire day for every five times that somebody from our church checks in to the gospel chapel we're ministering alongside of compassion international a mother and her baby will have food for an entire day so i want you to just uh take a moment when you get a chance to go to Facebook, find our page, check in. And that helps our church, of course, because then all your friends know that you were in church today and it advertises our church. But it also helps, genuinely helps uh, a, a woman and her child to have food. So that is a genuine thing that happens. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when he called, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In just a few minutes, people will be coming into membership in our church today. And that's always an exciting thing for pastors. These people will come and commit themselves to serve the Lord in this local body. They're going to commit to give their tithes here, their offerings here, and they're going to submit, if you will, to the polity and the authority of this church and the denomination that we're part of. Now, I think most of us understand this, and this would make sense to a lot of us here. But what about the rest of the world? 
I would say that there are a whole lot of people who wonder why people would ever join themselves to a church like that, especially if they make promises like we're going to uh, participate in the vision of the church. We're going to work here. We're going to serve the church and we're going to promise to give tithes and offerings to the church. Just very quickly so you know, I just need you to know that there's a distinction in our church from other church bodies. There is never a time that this pastor assigns uh, amount of money to anybody and says you have to give this money that's not anything like what we do here we we just promise to obey the lord's um command to give uh, uh tithes and offerings i don't know what anybody gives to this church and that's on purpose i don't look at those records and i i've only had in 30 some years of ministry one time when i had to look at records but i never do it and it's because I don't want to know who gives what, because that's between you and God. And I don't want to be influenced by any amount of giving or not giving. So I just need you to know that that's a difference in the Wesleyan church. We don't coerce people to give money to us. We don't chase them down or anything like that. But when you become a member, one of the commitments you make is I will tithe here. My tithes will go into the work of this church. In Hebrews chapter 11, there are these people mentioned who lay it all on the line, give up everything else in order to serve God. In Hebrews chapter 11, you'll read stories of people who risked their lives and in fact, many who lost their lives, lost their property, their friendships and some family, all because they loved and served Jesus Christ. Further here in Hebrews chapter 11, going to verse 36, there are these moving verses about people who believed in the Lord. Verse 36, speaking of them, some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Why? Why would anybody subject himself to something like this? Why? Why would somebody choose to to why would somebody make choices that would create an atmosphere where they knew they would be in the in harm's way. They would know that they would face these kinds of things, jeers, floggings, beatings, imprisonment, taking all your stuff away, taking away your capacity to make a living, living in caves, living in the mountains, walking around in the desert. Why? Why would anybody choose a life like that? That This is not, by the way... If I can say this to you, this is not an exaggeration or just a a fable that is out there. This is historical fact. This is how people lived for a while. Why would they do that? Why would they face the things that they faced? Why? Do you know that every apostle except Judas, of course, who betrayed Jesus and, and committed suicide, every other apostle was persecuted And every other apostle was killed because of their faith, with the exception of the apostle John. John 
was thrown on an island and exiled until he died. But every single apostle faced life like this. Every single one of them were martyred except for John and Judas. And Judas killed himself. That was what happened. And the question that many people in the world would ask is why? Why would you do that? Why would you volunteer for that type of life? Why would you choose something like that? Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I would just strongly recommend to you, if you want to know something about your roots and what it took for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach your ears and what people went through for the sake of the gospel so that one day you would hear the gospel in a safe manner, I would suggest you read this little book. It's a simple little book. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And there are stories of many who suffered as a result of loving Jesus Christ. Why would people do this? Because we believe. It's because of belief. It's because we have a firm belief that this is the truth. And that is why people subjected themselves. In this book, there is the story of Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And the story of what happened to Andrew was after Jesus was crucified, after he again appeared to the disciples and he rose again, that that Andrew was present at a place uh, in an event that the Bible records as the day of Pentecost. He was in an upper room. And he was praying with the other disciples. And the Holy Spirit came upon Andrew in a powerful way. The Bible says that while they were praying, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind in that room. Could you imagine if suddenly as we are in our prayer time, it sounded like a tornado was ripping through here? I don't know about you, but that would get my attention. And and suddenly they look up and they notice that that. It looks and it appears to be fire, portions of fire floating to them. It was a sign, a physical sign that the Holy Spirit was being poured out into them. And that's what happened. Andrew was filled with the Holy Spirit, as were the other 120 in that upper room who were praying. And from that that moment, the fire of God was ignited in the heart of Andrew. And he became a passionate, anointed, effective preacher. So that many people came to Christ and came to believe in Jesus Christ because of the ministry that Andrew had. Andrew would make his his ministry, would lead him into the vicinity of Ethiopia, what is now the country of Ethiopia. And at that time, Aegeus was governor. He was a Roman governor because this was a Roman territory at that time. And when word of this preacher reached the ears of the governor, Andrew was summoned to appear before the pro-council, the Jewish, I mean, sorry, the Roman ruling council there. And in that proceeding, Andrew was commanded to stop preaching about Jesus Christ in that territory with the threat that he would be hanged on a cross. He would be crucified. And to that threat, Andrew was quoted as saying, Jesus would not have preached the honor and the glory of the cross if he feared the death on the cross. And you can know that his sentence was swift. And Andrew was placed spread eagle on an X-shaped cross. He was nailed to it, crucified far from where he grew up. And he died there for the sake of Christ. 
many would wonder, why would a man do such a thing? Why would somebody be so divided, devoted to a belief that they would do such a thing? Let me give you just one more scenario and ask you to consider this. Consider what it would be like if about 15 men charged through all of the entrances of our building, came in through those doors, those doors, those doors, every door that they could come in, and say they had ski masks and they were carrying assault rifles with them, and they blocked every entrance in here, and say when they came in, they were shouting allegiance to a false god. And what if these men, as they were standing here, would announce We are going to kill every single Christian in this building today. If you are not a Christian, you are free to leave. If you are a Christian who will here and now renounce your faith in Jesus Christ, we will let you leave. But we will give you five minutes. And for everyone who is in this building in five minutes, we will make the assumption you are a Christian and you will be shocked. And that will end your life. You have five minutes. Now, I know that's a scenario that, praise the Lord, most likely won't happen. It isn't a scenario that hasn't happened. You know, I think some of us would leave. But I think that there are many who would stay. Why? Why would we do that? Because we believe. And we just have this underlying belief in Jesus Christ, this underlying faith. And we can't dishonor the God who created us. And so we would stay. I'm confident that we would do that. I think to those of you whose heart said, I would have to stay, you did so because you believe with everything you are. I want to talk to you about that belief for just a few seconds. You see, there are many of us in this building who believe in one that we have never seen. We believe in an invisible God to us. And I just read it to you because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, most people have believed or or do believe that we were created by a supreme being. That's still the vast majority opinion in the United States of America. Most people believe that. Even many proponents of the theory of evolution believe that that is how God created it. That is his method. That through evolution, he created this earth. That there's too much order. There's too, it's, it's, it couldn't have come together in random ways. In other words, um, that people believe in a God and a creator. Relatively few people in our society just don't believe in God whatsoever. For followers of Jesus Christ, for followers of the God that I'm talking about, we truly believe that he created the universe just as his book says he did. We, we believe that. And because of that belief, we believe that he is almighty. 
We believe that he is far greater than we can really think or imagine or wrap our minds around. We believe that anybody who could speak into blackness and darkness and say, let there be. And suddenly all these planets and stars and the universe. We believe that anybody who could take dirt and form a human being must be a great and awesome God. Amen. I mean, every time I get to hold a little newborn baby, I see God. I'm amazed at that. I look at a human being who has just been brought into this world. And I even think about how that baby was created by God in the womb of the mother. The whole process is amazing to me. Who could think of this? Who could do such a thing? And I am amazed that human beings are born the way they are with the capacities that human beings have. I have thought often about how much a human being learns from the day they are born to the day they are two years old. It's an amazing amount of of information. And I would just suggest to you that there's not a computer around that could do this. It's just the way that we are made, the complexity of human beings. I look at the fingers, the toes. I think about how eyeballs are functioning, how they work, and they cooperate with so much in our body. In order for you to see, it's not just your eyes, it's your brain. It's it's being able to decipher those images. In order for you to hear, it's not just the mechanics of your ear, it's your brain. It's an amazing thing for us to see what God does. And the more that I have learned about what could go wrong and how weak and frail we are and yet how how amazing a human body is with the skin and all that it prevents and and all of those things. I stand amazed at a God and, and I believe in one that I haven't seen because I see evidence of him everywhere, folks. We who believe see his fingerprints on everything. We can look in a big telescope and we can say, there's God. God put that all out there. We can look into a powerful microscope and say, there he is again. We see God everywhere in creation because those who believe know that he exists. And I have to tell you, there are some of us here who every fiber of our being believes that he is the God that he says he is. Our hearts are guided much in the way that King David's heart is guided when we see creation. When I consider your heavens, Psalm 8, and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds. And the beasts of the field. The birds of the air. The fish of the sea. All that swim the paths of the sea. Oh Lord our Lord. How majestic is your name. In all the earth. You know we believe this. And that would be maybe. The greatest part of the explanation as to why many of us would sit here and not renounce a God we have never seen physically. At least I don't think I have. I haven't looked into the face of God as far as I know. I don't know that that I I ever will until I pass away and I see him somewhere else. But we look around at the creation of God and we're moved by his power. We're moved by his wisdom. We're humbled. By such a great and magnificent God. And we're humbled that he even knows who we are. The Bible says he knows us by name. He knows how many hairs are on our head. We look at him and we believe. And to us God is much more than an aloof force. Or entity out there. 
that's just out there to be looked at from a distance. No, we believe that he's a relational God. We believe that he wants us to become a, a part of his family where we can refer to him as our heavenly father. He loves us people. And we believe that. And we've come to see him as that. As we see him, that's who he is. We are to integrate every facet of our lives into a personal, intimate relationship with him. We earnestly believe that. We believe in a purpose that is higher than our own. Verses 7 through 12 of the passage that I read to you speaks about Noah and the things that he did without ever seeing it happen before. Let me explain one thing. He had heard from God that God was going to destroy the earth with water. He had heard that God would make it rain. It had never rained on earth before. And so the only way the earth was watered was with dew and the rivers and the things like that. And God said, I'm going to flood the entire earth. It didn't make sense from an outsider human perspective. But he so believed God that he built an ark because he believed. Now, when he was building the ark, by the way, there's scriptural evidence that, that, that people thought he was absolutely like the cheese slid off the man's cracker. What in the world are you building this gigantic boat out in the middle of a wilderness for where are you going to float the thing and and they laughed at him they scoffed him they made fun of him because he believed and it was because he believed in a purpose that was higher than his own he believed in a bigger thing than his own mind could conceive because we're convinced that there is an almighty God who created and sustains the universe. We believe that ultimately his purposes, his plans must be carried out and will be carried out whether we want them to or not, by the way. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but God is not affected. His will is not affected if we don't believe in him. I don't want to hurt your feelings here. But that's a little bit like saying, and I've given you this example before. I don't, it's, it, I'll do it this way. It, you can at one time in your life say, you know what? I no longer believe that I need to breathe air to live. I just don't believe it. And because I don't believe it, it doesn't exist. I don't need it. I don't need air. So I'm going to stop breathing right here. And how foolish would that be? <laughs> Okay, you're going to believe really fast, okay? You are, you're going to believe, okay? And I know that, that you know, God wants you to believe. God wants me to believe. He has a higher purpose for you. He has a wonderful purpose for us all. But if we choose not to believe, we can say, no, God never did that. God didn't ex uh, create the universe. God doesn't exist. We can do that. It's not going to change the fact that what God said is going to happen is going to happen. We can't stop him. We can't make him stop doing what he We're not going to alter him. We're not going to change his purposes. My point in saying this is we got on those who believe get on board with God because we believe his purposes are greater than ours and they supersede ours. And it's just better to be on board than to be fighting against God. You don't win when you fight God. We, we believe that. And so this belief is that God has a high purpose. If God decides that something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And we believe that. We believe that our purpose is found best in God's purposes for our lives. So our plans become subservient to his. And these people who will stand before you and join our church today believe this. I've talked to them at length, and this is what they believe. 
They believe that God has a plan and a purpose for them and that their plans need to be subservient to God's. People have lost and risked everything to fulfill purposes that God has for them. That's what we read about with these people in the book of Hebrews. True followers of Jesus Christ don't really count it as a loss when we lose possessions or lose even other relationships. We see it as if this is God's purposes, then God, I gain. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, I've always been astounded by this guy. And when I go to heaven, I want to meet the Apostle Paul. Look what he wrote. Look what he said. Look what he believed. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish. That's what he said. That's what he said. Momentarily, we're going to participate together in the sacred observance of the Lord's Supper after we bring in some members. And it's a remembrance of what Jesus did. And by the way, Jesus is the quintessential example for us all of what it means to live for God's purposes. Because Jesus made himself subservient to his Father's will so that we could have a relationship with God. And he gave us that example We'll remember that the Son of God became one of us and he lived among us and he revealed the love of, the God, of God as Father to this world. We'll participate in this sacrament not just to do something, not as an exercise uh, that you do to, as some kind of charm, but we participate in this because we believe in what Jesus Christ did. It's a higher purpose and we believe we should live by a higher purpose. Finally, let me say to you, we believe in a country Beyond our earth. That is what the verses that I read to you. Verses 13 through 16 speak of. All these people were still living when they. By faith when they died. They did not receive the promise. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things. Show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left. They would have the opportunity to return. Instead they're longing for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Listen to me, my friends. One of the things that uh, Abraham was commended for was God spoke to him and said, Abraham, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to leave your family and friends behind. And I want you to trust me. And I want to I want you to just go to this area. Abraham didn't know one soul. He didn't even really know where exactly he was going. But because God spoke to him, Abraham picked up everything he had and he took off with his family and they went to the land of Gad. And that would become a promised land where the Lord would bless the Israelites, a nation that had not been born. Abraham was a was a man who was married to a barren wife and God made a promise to him out of Sarah, I'm going to make a mighty nation of people. None of this made sense. But Abraham left his country and he, when he left, folks, he left. That's a lesson for us, by the way, because too many of us want the benefits of a personal relationship with God, but we don't want to leave. 
We don't want to leave. We, we, we still love the old country. But oh, I love what this says about people of God. They live for a different country. They, they think in terms of eternity. God has a wonderful place prepared for you if you follow him and know him and love him. I need you to know there's another place. There's a better place than this old earth. Don't fall in love with the, with the world. Okay, I'm just saying don't fall in love with it because this world doesn't offer enough for you. And it's not even close to the value that you will have one day as a citizen of a city that he is preparing for you. I have to tell you, as I was preparing this sermon, I got thinking I was reading it and I got thinking about my friend Eric and your friend Eric. And as you know, Eric Sutak passed away very unexpectedly and suddenly, uh, just not very long ago. And I got thinking about him, Eric, and I had several conversations. And I, I want to stand before you and, first of all, let you know that I've been in contact with some of his family members. And we are planning a memorial service for Eric. Uh, I, they're working out some details for family members to be present with us. And so it may be the latter part of this month. But we are working on that. And I have ideas. I'm going to have you guys bring in jugs. I'm going to invite you to put coins in those jugs and we're going to have a joyful noise offering and we're going to shake our jugs just like Eric used to do because he had so much fun. He loved giving to people to help them. Eric was a godly man and he loved the Lord. He loved people and he loved the joyful noise offering. You'll get to participate in that and we'll use that particular offering to bless somebody in particular, perhaps family members. We'll see what God will have us to do with that. But then, and we'll also... um, be able to have a cookie. Uh, as you know, Eric was a, a cookie maker and he called himself the cookie man and he gave cookies away. Uh, I didn't know this until I talked to somebody else, but he would go to our food pantry and stand out there and hand out cookies uh, to people. He would just bake cookies. He, I've eaten some of his delicious cookies and we have somebody in our congregation who got that recipe. They pried it out of him and they have that recipe. And on that day, we'll each have a cookie in honor of Eric. So I'm, we're planning for that. I want you to know. But I, I got to think about Eric and some of the conversations I had with that brother. And as you know, Eric was on a list. He was on a, a, a heart transplant list uh, because his heart was so bad. And one of the conversations I had with Eric was something like this. I said, Eric, I said, do you have peace that you are ready to meet the Lord in case your heart gives up? We don't know how he passed away, but all appearances is that um, he was in, in bed and he passed away in his sleep. His heart gave up. But with that said, I asked him that question. I said, are you at total peace with the Lord? He said, yes, Pastor Ken. I've asked the Lord into my heart. I have forgiveness. And I'm a Christian. And I said, are you scared about the possibility of dying? He says, why would I be scared? That's exactly his words to me. Why would I be scared? He says, man, I I get to leave here. I get a new body and I get to live somewhere else. And it'll be all right. You know, he didn't want, didn't like the thought of leaving people behind. He loved, but he said, man, he says, that's, that's a wonderful thing. You know, I'm going to win. If I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. Let me say something to you. That's the that's what I'm talking about. People who believe and believe in the word of God look for a different country. I'm not too attached to this world, to be very honest with you. I don't I love people. 
That's what matters the most to me in this world. But the rest of it, not so much. I don't know how you feel about it. Not so much. I like some of the beauty. I like some of the creation. And I like the people. But other than that, pretty much not. Okay, that's where I am. I don't have a great attachment to this world or the things of this world. I look forward to a day when I see Jesus. And folks, the city that we will get to live in. It makes anything on earth look like a dog pound. I mean, it just does. It's so beautiful. It's so awesome. And the most beautiful thing about that city is that the, even the light, even the light will be God. Even that will be the, the presence of Jesus Christ. You can't get better than that. You can't. This is a city that's so beautiful that the, the, the streets that you walk in, on are made of some of the most pure and beautiful precious metals that are gold uh, that that we value so highly and we base our dollar off of and it's just going to be street material talk about an awesome place and i'm anxious for it do you believe today do you trust today do you have faith today i believe that jesus has prepared a place and is preparing a place for all of us to enjoy one day.